Thanks for tuning in to our Cypress Church podcast. To learn more about our church, visit our website at cypresschurch.net and join us for our Sunday morning services at 9 and 11 a.m. Subscribe on iTunes for more. My name is Kerry Kaufman. I'm the pastor of Connection and Discipleship here. Uh, we had a grand experiment to see if we could have the music uh, swing us in and start us into our sermon this morning. But you guys are a friendly bunch, and you just wanted to keep chatting, so that's okay. <laughs> For all of the introverted folks, they're like, oh yes, there's something to look at the screen, and that's okay. Um, we've been uh, in this Psalms uh, series. It's called our Summer Mixtape, and it's been all summer, the last two months so far, and we're going through the book of Psalms because it's full of songs in God's Word, and most of the folks who've come up here to uh, share with us from God's Word, they've shared songs to kind of intro their sermons and songs as illustrations, and I, I think I was looking back at everyone who's preached so far this summer, and I think I'm the youngest voice you will hear so far, and so I thought, you know, I'm not going to pick an oldie this time. I'm going to pick a song that was actually written in this century. So (laughs) there you have it. There you go. Anyone recognize that song that we just heard? Okay. Some of us maybe. Mumford and Sons, I Will Wait. And it's one of their most famous songs, one of the ones that helped really swell them into popularity. They really found a great niche when they did music that was similar to Irish traditional music. And uh, just got to ride that wave for a long time. And so uh, that's an interesting song that Emily and I got to hear when we went to Northern Ireland. We would kind of know what traditional Irish music is now because we got to visit my sister there. She was studying abroad, my sister Kelly. Shout out to you, Kelly, if you uh, hear this message. Um, uh, we got to go to Northern Ireland on St. Patrick's Day and watch parades and go to parties and eat at restaurants and watch bands, and it was so cool. And one of the things we got to do was go to my sister's church. They rented out this facility, and we got to go there. And it, at first, it looked pretty similar to like a normal uh, Protestant church service. There's a praise band up there and everything. But then afterwards, uh, after the service, we didn't go into a courtyard for donuts. We went into a lobby where these Irish ladies were serving us homemade soup. And it was like, oh, this is so good. It was cold outside, so it, like, it was so tasty. And that was fun. And then there are these guys with a band out there. And in the back of the, of the picture you can see there, and the next picture will show them a little clearer. There are these guys who are like born and raised in Northern Ireland playing traditional Irish songs as we were hanging out in the lobby. So uh, this is so fun. What a cultural experience. And actually, these same guys, they had closed the worship service as the worship band by playing Mumford's I Will Wait. That was the final song we sang together as a congregation. And I thought, hmm, Mumford's not necessarily like a Christian worship band, so why are we singing this in a church service? That's kind of strange. But now that I think about it, I guess I've done the same thing. I've played it in this service. So, so there you go. <laughs> but why? Why would, uh, why would we play that? Why would they play that there and us play that here? Why a song about waiting? One of the reasons why is that we, as a culture, have become a little uncomfortable with waiting. It's not something that's our favorite. In fact, it's something that is sometimes something that we're not even really used to anymore. And think about it. I got home last night. I walked in, pulled some pizza out of the fridge, threw it in the microwave, zapped, sat down, and ate it. Less than three minutes, my dinner was ready. Right? Do you guys, can you guys relate to that? Okay, so also you're at work, right? And you're like, ah, oh, I need that file from her. And so you give her a call, boom, instantly connected with her. You're thinking, oh, how do I get that? What's an answer I need to find? Boom, 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 Google it. 
got the answer right away. I need something on my doorstep tomorrow. Amazon Prime, that sucker, right? We are so used to immediacy. We are so used to things happening fast now. And so waiting is difficult. Waiting is even harder when it has to do with something that's more serious, right, than ordering a book. Um, when they we're stuck in a situation that's difficult, and we're waiting and saying, God, when is this going to be over? Or we're waiting for something to happen in our life that will bring healing or hope, and we're saying, God, when is that going to happen? I'm waiting. I'm not even used to waiting for my pizza. How am I going to wait for this big, meaningful thing, too? So... That reminds me of one more illustration I'd like to share. I think you get it, right? Even in like that eight seconds, we're like, oh, come on, hurry up, like, let's go. We are so unused to it. So, so how do we wait? How do we wait in circumstances that, you know, are normal? But how do we wait in circumstances also that where there's, there's hardship, there's pain, there's difficulty? How do we navigate that? That is what we're going to be exploring as we open up the book of Psalms. So we're back in Psalms. I just want to give you a quick overview. If you haven't been with us, there's a chart on the screen here, downloaded from our good old friends at thebibleproject.com. You can download it as well if you want, or there are copies out on the resource table to your left as you exit the doors. You can pick up a copy. Um, What it is is that we can see Psalms is organized into five sections, and why they did that is the Jewish editors that took all these different Jewish songs and poems and, and, and prayers, they put them all in a collection and organized into five books because it mirrors the first five books of the Bible, the Tanakh, the Genesis through Deuteronomy. And those books, those five, were written to instruct Israel, to educate them and inspire them of how to live. And so the Psalms guys that compiled Psalms did that to say that, hey, these are poems, these are songs, but they're still meant to teach us. They're still meant to instruct us on who God is and how to live and how things work in the world. So that's how they're uh, done. We're in the book five. And uh, one more thing I'd like to mention, too, is that the Bible, the Bible kind of assumes that we don't instinctively know how to talk to God perfectly. Can anyone relate to that? You know, we don't just come out and we're like, I know exactly how to communicate with God, the creator of the universe. And so what Psalms does is it gives us examples of other people who have been praying to God. We get to see their prayers. We get to read their cries and their praises. And we get to learn how we communicate with God through their example. So that's what we're looking at here in Psalms. So which Psalm is going to teach us how to wait well? Psalm 130. Psalm 130 is where we're going to be today. So I'd love it if you could open up a Bible and be with us. Uh, Our ushers are going to come forward with spare Bibles. If you'd love to borrow one, just raise up your hand. Say, hey, I'm over here. You can leave it on your seat as we take off. Uh, You have a worship folder that you hopefully got on your way in as well. You can open that up and pull out the sermon notes inside. uh, and Follow along with us if you'd like to write down notes as we go. Psalm 130 is where we are headed And as you flip there, you'll notice at the very beginning, before we even read the rest of verse 1, there's a title at the top of Psalm 130. It says, A Song of Ascents. And ascents is just a plural of ascent, going up, stepping up. But then if we look at Psalm 129, what's at the top of that one? 
Song of Ascents. Same thing. Psalm 131, what's at the top of that? Song of Ascents. So the songs of Ascents are this compilation within Psalms of about 15 Psalms. It's Psalm 120 to Psalm 134. And this collection was all written and compiled to be one cohesive whole for pilgrims who are going to Jerusalem, who are uh, headed on their way to the holy city and these psalms will be written for their instructions. So imagine that you're this Jewish pilgrim in ancient Israel in the Old Testament, leaving your home for a bit in order to travel to Jerusalem. And it's been taking a while. The sun's hot. It's dusty. You're sweating. I know that's not hard to imagine in a weekend like this. Uh, but you're on the steep road, and then you, you're on the final leg of your journey. You're almost there, and then suddenly you round this bend. And, oh, you see Jerusalem the capital of the entire Jewish nation, the holy city where God's temple is. And you say, oh, yes, that's where we're headed. And amidst the dust and the heat and the sweat, someone starts singing. And you've heard this song before, year after year. And it's, it's one of the psalms from the books, from the uh, songs of ascents. It's one of those as you're ascending to Jerusalem because it's on a mountain. And so that's why they're called Songs of Ascents. And as you're traveling with your fellow pilgrims, you sing in. And in these songs, help inspire you, encourage you, make you eager to get to Jerusalem so that you can worship at God's temple. So that's the world Psalm 130 was written in. And that's how they would have originally heard it. It was written by a Jewish artist to challenge, educate, and inspire God's people. And so if you're willing, I'd love for you to join with us as a fellow pilgrim. We are not uh, going to be out in the sun, thankfully, but we are traveling onward and upward closer to God. And so join in with us today. Uh, psalm 130. We can see it's a clearly an ancient psalm. We'll see an uh, ancient song. It's got repetition. It's got neat stanzas, four of them it's divided into. And it uses similes and metaphors, imagery uh, to convey its points. So, first one. Out of the depth. I cry to you, Lord. The depths. This is where the artist is saying, man, it's as if I am drowning in a tumultuous, wild, untamed sea. It's like I'm in the crushing deep of the ocean. Oh, Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my pleas for mercy. Can anyone guess if this is a psalm about praise or about lament? Lament, definitely. That's not a word we often use in normal language today. But what it means is, it's, uh, you can see on the screen, a lament is a kind of psalm where you're begging God for help, where you're saying, this is tough, I'm in a tight spot, I'm sad, I'm angry, I'm oppressed, whatever, and I need your help. But then praise psalms are often thanking God for his deliverance or for how good he is or for who he is. But you'll see how these, even though they're weighed against each other in psalms, oftentimes they intermingle and interconnect in neat ways. And so we already learned some things about God just because of how those psalms are written. So our author, he's writing from his own personal experience in verse 1 through 6, and he's going to share his story with us. Also, one thing to mention is that he is already saying things that are teaching us about God. Psalms has amazing, profound theology. And what I mean by that is that it teaches us a lot of stuff about God. It says more about God than any other book in the Old Testament does. And it kind of makes sense because as you learn about who God is, you're inspired to worship him. 
And so that's how Psalms can often lead us into praise and to worship. So first we learn that this guy, this whoever authored Psalm 130, he comes to God with his with his request, with his plea. He says, oh, I beg for your mercy, God. So we learn, if you're writing notes, and a point one, that God is approachable. God's approachable. He's approachable because he's not some deistic clockmaker that wound up and designed the universe and said, see ya. And he's also not this ethereal force that we have to like tap into and like manipulate and so i know god is personal god is approachable and he's open and he's willing to hear us and so we hear this psalmist already teach us some things just by getting these things off of his chest point one is on your uh worship folder sermon outline i can bring my pain to god we can bring our brokenness our guilt our desperation to god because he is approachable and that is good news. Now, maybe with just these two verses, I hope I haven't lost you already. Because <laughs> sometimes we come to church and we're like, oh, great, another sermon about how hard life is and how I need help and I'm desperate. I'm not there. My life's going great. You know, honestly, things are going pretty good right now. It's gravy. I don't need Psalm 130 to bring me down. So that honestly could be like where you're at right now. Things are going good. Well, one thing I'd say to that is like maybe your life does seem good right now, but it won't always be, right? We go through roller coasters and seasons of time. But even if it is great, that's because God has blessed you, because God is sustaining you. And so the things that we look back on and think, man, I hold myself up here, things are going good because I've worked hard. Everything we have is from God anyway. The breath in your lungs, the body you've used, the education that you operate in, um, the resources you've used, the family you were born into, the area that God placed you in when you were born, all these are gifts from God. And so as we approach Psalms, we come with a, a feeling of dependence. We are, crea- we are uh, crea- creation, Yes, <laughs> things that are created, <laughs> and God is the creator, and so there's a sense of dependence as our psalmist comes to God here. He says, I'm hurting, and I hate this situation, but I'll bring it to you, God, anyway. So let's see what happens next in verse 3, in the next stanza. Second stanza, verse 3, if you, O Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? Iniquities here means sin, uh, waywardness, uh, rebellion, or apathy towards God. Um, and so what the psalmist is saying here, he's like, hey, man, if, if you had everything I've done wrong listed on a sheet and you just held it right in front of me and you kept waving that in front of me, oh, man, I'd be toast. I'm so, I'd be so guilty that there's no hope for me. There's no way I can measure up to a holy, infinite, amazing, perfect God if you kept track of all that stuff that I've done. But, and then he says, but, but there's good news. With you, you, God, there is forgiveness. Oh, forgiveness. That's so good because the author, even in the midst of the depths of despair, he remembers who he knows God to be, and then he lets that knowledge be hope for him, even in the midst of difficulty. Why does God forgive? He gives a reason here. At the end of verse 4, with you there's forgiveness, that you may be feared. Okay, so are we, are we just supposed to live in fear of God all the time and be scared of him? Well, 
Not exactly. If you were here last Sunday, we had a VBS recap, and Pastor Lorena got to come up here on stage, and there was this awesome like reef all over here, and we were under the sea, and, and there was a verse that popped up here that was the memory verse for VBS uh, two weeks ago. And she was like, hey, kids, who can memorize, who can say the memory verse? And this chorus of all these little voices rose up, and we all read this verse. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. So VBS was awesome because all these kids got to memorize and learn this verse that they don't need to be afraid of God or scared of him, but God, because he's so big and powerful and loving, he deserves our honor. He deserves our respect. So when the Bible says that we should fear God, well, yeah, we should fear him if we're against him because he's a lot bigger than us, but we should just honor and, and revere him. That's what that means. So our kids learned that. And our psalmist here is bringing up that concept again. So that's why God forgives. It's God's kindness that leads us to repentance. God forgives us because he wants us to know who he is and and to honor him and to be connected with him. So think back to the Jewish pilgrims. Back on that dusty trail heading up to Jerusalem, they're singing songs of ascents, and they're likely going to be visiting God's temple in Jerusalem when they get there, because that's the center focal point of the entire Jewish uh, um, cultural and worldview. And why it was is because there were sacrifices offered in the temple, and those sacrifices were offered day in and day out because of sin. And so as the Jewish person, would, this pilgrim would walk up in the dust and the sweat and the heat going to Jerusalem, knowing he's going to hit the temple and he's looking forward to that. He knows that he's going to the temple because he's willing to look inside his heart. And he knows there's, there's some dark stuff in there. He knows there's some brokenness in there and some hurt, some pain. He knows there's lust, gluttony, greed, jealousy, arrogance in there. He knows it. And, he, and, and those sacrifices in the temple every day are a reminder that sin must be dealt with, that sin's real. He doesn't need to deny them, but he's going there. He's going to God to make them right. And so the fact that God here in verse 4 is willing to forgive is such good news. We don't need to ignore sin and pretend it didn't happen. We don't need to hide our sin and be afraid to have anyone know about it. We don't need to just glibly excuse sin or deny it and be like, ah, it's no big deal. Sin does hurt us. Sin does hurt other people. And yet God has made a way to make it right. And so that happened in the temple, and that's how the Jews would have heard it. And that's how the psalmist is singing about it right now. Point number two on your outline. In the middle of my pain, God is still forgiving. God is still a forgiving God. Despite what I'm feeling and what I've done, God is still a forgiving God. And this great news, it derives again from the stanza based on what we learned about who God is. What do we learn about God? He's a creator. From the very beginning, God designed a way for us to live uh, because it would be best for us, because he loves us. So when it comes to sin and waywardness and following God's laws, God's not up in heaven being some cosmic killjoy saying, I follow all these arbitrary rules because you'd better. He's saying, hey, I've designed life to work this way. And if you live that way, you'll get a lot less hurt. And I'm all about you not getting unnecessarily hurt because I love you. (laughs) So God gives us these things to know ahead of time. And that, so he's the creator. He designed that. Uh, Second, we learned from this author's experience that God forgives. And then lastly, we heard about like with the VBS verse that God is worthy of being 
feared, and so he is worth our respect. He's worth our respect. So this artist wrestled in the depths of despair to his wrongdoing, but then he begged God for mercy, and he discovered this glimmer of hope in God's forgiveness out in the distance. So he's got, he's got some hope that he's aiming at. How can we survive sin's devastating effects in our lives? We can thrive by trusting that God forgives. I get hurt and I do things I hate, but God forgives. A few years ago, I was pastoring in another church, and Emily and I drove down to Ensenada, Mexico with a missions trip that we brought a bunch of people from church to. And it was super fun. We went down there, worked at an orphanage, did a bunch of other cool stuff. And so at one point, we're having a great time uh, hanging out with students, and we, we walk out of the mission center, jump into the truck. And uh, I had borrowed a truck from my senior pastor for the trip so we could haul equipment down there. So we jump into his truck. We're like, all right, let's go to the mission center or something. Vamanos. Woo! Crash. I totally hit the fence. The mission center fence, like I crashed into a missionary's fence. Not a good thing. Uh, there was like blue paint that the previous missions team from the peak had painted over the fence. That was all over the truck. So I'm like, I felt so stupid. <laughs> so a couple more days go by on the missions trip. I've got this fear lingering in the back of my head this whole time. I'm going to have to say, I'm going to have to explain what I did when I get back to the United States, and turn this truck back in. <laughs> this fear, this self-doubt, this, uh, all this stuff is just lingering in my mind. So I finally get home. I drive the truck over to my boss's house, and uh, he fired me. Just kidding. He didn't fire me. <laughs> he forgave me. <laughs> he forgave me because he's an awesome guy, and he's a pastor, and he loves the Lord, and he was, like, gracious. So I was like, oh, goodness. So that, but that was such a relief for me to have him forgive me. That's how it is with God. God is willing to forgive us too. And, you know, maybe it's a silly thing like, you know, crashing a truck into a fence, but maybe it's something really serious, but God says that he is willing to forgive us. And what a relief that is. According to Psalm 130, God is like that. So my question for you today, maybe you have blank space in your notes, but what are the painful effects of sin that are still lingering in the back of your mind? Maybe you're in the middle of the mission strip, so to speak, of your life, and you something, something, something happened, or you did something, and you got to wait, and you're called to account later. And what, what are those things? Is it regret or fear? Is there brokenness hovering kind of in the back burner in your mind? Are there broken relationships or loneliness? Ask God for mercy. Don't stew on those things. Bring it to him like this author did. God is your creator, and he is a forgiver. Um, now, some of us might hear this theme about forgiveness and think, oh, this is too familiar. I mean, nice psalm and all, but like I've heard of God about God forgives like a hundred times. I grew up in church. I went to VBS in third grade, and I heard about, v- about God's forgiveness. I went to Sunday school. I went to youth group, and I learned about God's forgiveness. I've heard this a hundred times. Give me something new. Um, Well, the Jewish pilgrims going up to Jerusalem, they would sing songs like this every year, if not more often. They grew up in God's people. They had memorized parts of the Old Testament. So they knew God forgave, but they needed reminders. And don't we too? 
You know, we can go to so many classes or sermons or churches and other stuff and hear about who God is, and yet we still bump into things in our life. We still make mistakes. We still make choices that hurt us. And we need to hear reminders that God still forgives us, that God is still a forgiving God despite what we've done. So if that's a good reminder for them, it's a good reminder for us. I get hurt and I do things I hate, but God forgives. Now, here we are halfway through the psalm. We've got the next stanza coming up. And we've heard this glimmer of hope where the psalmist is saying, okay, I'm in the depths of despair because I did these things and there are now all the consequences and the effects of what I did are crushing me. And, but I see that God's a forgiving God. Like I, I've heard that. I trust that. But I don't feel totally at peace yet. I know God is a forgiving God, and then that can happen, but I don't see all the effects of what I've done gone, and everyone's not healed already. I don't feel totally at peace already. There's still things playing out based on what I did, so I'm in this place of tension. I'm in this place where I know that's true and that's coming, but I'm still right here, and God, why am I not, why is not everything perfect again? And so that brings us to the third stanza, to verse 5. I wait for the Lord, is what the author says here. Wait? He just said in verse 4 that God forgives. So shouldn't that just be a closed deal? Isn't that done? He says, my soul waits, and in this word, in his word, I hope. He's waiting for God's word of pardon to forgive him, but he's also waiting for all the things that flowed out of his sins to be solved too. So God can forgive anyone. And, and sometimes it's instantaneous. You know, God says, yeah, my, I mean, especially for us on this side of the cross, Jesus died for all of our sins. As soon as we've accepted that, our sins are covered for the rest of our lives. But, so forgiveness is right away. But if I hurt that person, God forgives me, but I still got to reconcile with that person. I still got to deal with the, with the hurt I caused myself, with the hurt I caused each other. That takes time to work out. And so the psalmist is saying, I'm waiting for these things to be worked out. I'm waiting for these relationships to be healed again. I'm waiting for uh, my soul to be at peace again. I'm waiting for that addiction to finally break down. I'm waiting for those things I said to finally be reconciled. I'm waiting, God. And here's how he's waiting. So here's, our, here's another imagery uh, from our song here. He says, my soul, verse 6, waits for the Lord more than watchmen for the morning. More than watchmen for the morning. And this poetic repetition kind of drives that point home, this metaphor that he's giving about how this watchman, what he's referring to is like a soldier sentry who's watching on the night watch. They're on the night shift and they're waiting for the dawn. And so they're making sure things are okay, but they're, oh, they can't wait for the morning to come <laughs> when they can finally rest and take a break. They can't wait for the morning to come when the light will flood everywhere and things will be safer because you can see stuff. And so that's what this psalmist is talking about. He's saying, oh, I can't wait for God's healing to finally come. I know he's a forgiving God. I can't wait for all these situations to be reconciled, though, for all of these relationships to be made right again. I can't wait for that. I'm yearning for it like, like a soldier yearns for the dawn who's on night watch that's how much i'm hoping in it so remember those jewish pilgrims again back to that dusty sweaty hot trail going up to jerusalem singing psalm 130 amongst the other ascent psalms they had realized 
in stanza one, verse one and two, about their rebellion and their brokenness. And then they sang the second stanza about God's willingness to forgive. And now they're singing the third stanza. They'd admit that the resolution from forgiveness and the relief from the effects of sins, it doesn't always come immediately. And that's because God works on his own time frame. How can we, as little creations, look at the vast creator of the universe and say, you're not going fast enough. And God says, man, if I try to explain to you everything I'm orchestrating all at the same time, like your head would explode. Because like you're, you're a human. You just can't handle everything about running the entire universe at the same time. So you just have to trust me. And so the Jews, as they would sing this, they'd say, man, God's got, well, we don't, we're not sure exactly why you know, these things aren't healed yet. But we look at the past, and God's got a great track record of helping his children out. So we'll have to trust him for the future, and we can do that. So point three says, my hope in God's forgiveness helps me wait for deliverance. That hope, it's, it's just like God, totally, to rescue me. So because of that hope, I'm willing to wait for it. And how did we get there? We learned that God is independent. He's not going to be twisted, have his arm twisted by our desires of time. He is working outside of time, and he knows exactly what he's doing. And He'll bring healing when time is right. God also is trustworthy. He's worthy of our trust because he's got that track record we can count on. How can we survive sin's devastating effects? We can thrive by patiently trusting that God forgives and redeems. I get hurt and I do things I hate, but God forgives. I just need to wait. I just need to wait. One thing I thought that uh, kind of illustrated this was, uh, think about your tax return. So a lot of folks like to uh, have that big tax return come back, and, and they know it's coming, so, so they, they make investments now. They book a contractor for that remodel. They, they book that trip. They, uh, they, may, they already make payments and stuff because they know that's kicking back at the right time of the year. Has it come yet? Not yet, but they're trusting that it will. They're counting on it. And so that's kind of what this is with God when Psalm, Psalm 130. We know his forgiveness is there, and we know that he wants to bring healing to his kids. And, and when we've messed up and broken things, we know that he wants to come in and make things right again. We're trusting that that will come. We can even make investments now in people and places and stuff, knowing that God will make all things right at some point when his time is right. So I would just ask you, what are the things you're waiting for to be made right? What is on your waiting list? What are things, in what ways are you waiting to be rescued or renewed, healed from the effects of sin in your life? Rebellion or apathy, has it broken things in your finances? Has it broken your mind, broken your friendships, broken your home, your marriage, your heart? Look, take an honest self-examination. Look at what you've done and then give it to God because remember, he is approachable. He is loving. He is kind. And he is able to solve the things that you are in the middle of. Bring it to him. He has done it for so many of his children for centuries before. How can we survive sin's devastating effects? We can thrive by patiently trusting God forgives and redeems. I get hurt and I do things I hate, but God forgives and I just need to wait. One last thing. We've got two more verses here in the final 
fourth stanza. And here we're going to see that our artist actually changes tack a little bit. He says, O Israel, in verse 7, hope in the Lord. Now, look what he's done before. In verse 1 through 6, he was describing his own journey, and he was praying to God. Now, he's looking at other people's journeys, and he's talking to God's people. So he's saying, wow, I learned this stuff in my own experience, and now I want to share with you guys. So he says, oh, Israel, hope in the Lord. Do this. It will bring you life. And why? Why should we hope in the Lord? He says, for with the Lord there is steadfast love, and with him is plentiful redemption. And then he expounds on this last attribute, redemption. Verse 8, and God will redeem Israel from all its iniquities. Man, so think back how this may have hit those original Jewish pilgrims back on that dusty road singing Psalm 130 heading up to Jerusalem out in the heat. They would be hearing that message and they would be thinking, oh man, he will redeem Israel from all its iniquities, all its sin, all its waywardness. All Israel? They might have thought of the exile. Exile was this time, this period of time, near this period of time, a couple centuries before Jesus came, where the entire nation of Israel, on a, on a national level, just left God behind, worshiping idols, doing all sorts of destructive behavior, and said, nope, God, we're doing our own thing. And the consequences, all the effects that that caused, all the hurt and pain that that caused, Jerusalem actually was sacked and burned to the ground. God's temple was destroyed. And the Jewish folks that were left were carted off as slaves to a foreign superpower. That's what happened with their sin. And so they, but then as our Jewish pilgrims heading to Jerusalem, remember that the most devastating time. And as the entire nation of Israel was decimated, and then they hear this last lyric of this song saying, he will redeem Israel from all. All its iniquities. God is so powerful that he can redeem a nation's worth of sin. He can redeem an entire country's centuries of waywardness. That's how powerful God is. And as they read this, they would think, yes, God, there's hope. There's hope for our nation. And there's hope for each one of us. That's how powerful God is. And that's one of your points. What do we learn about God here? God is powerful. He has the ability to forgive anything you've done. He has that ability. And that God is willing to do that because he's loving. Verse 7, with the Lord there is steadfast love. And so both of those lead us to our fourth point. Share God with others. Sorry, share with others how you've learned to trust patiently in God. And they can too. Share your story like the psalmist did in order to help others. He's saying, hey, I learned this in my experience. Man, you could have this experience too. There's hope. And so he does that and shares a little piece of his own story to help others. I I think a little bit about this when I think of uh, a former church I used to work at. There was a guy named Gary. And Gary showed up to the AA, Alcoholics Anonymous, meeting that our church hosted. And it just changed his life. He had been through some really rough times a lot of brokenness in his life, but it really picked him back up. God used it to heal him. God used it to restore him, renew him, give him a new lease on life. And so Gary would go to everyone, anybody, and invite him to AA, like kids. 
And like people who, who like that, that wasn't even necessarily they're struggling, but like, oh, you should come, you should come. And I used to think at church that it's kind of annoying. I was like, Gary, what are you inviting this kid for? Like, why are you inviting me? Like, but I realized it wasn't annoying. It wasn't odd. It wasn't uh, pushy. Gary was just really changed. And he saw how God had renewed his life. And he thought, gosh, I want that for others. I want others to find healing too. I want others to be renewed like I have. I want others to experience that healing. So how can I not share with people? And so as Psalm 130's author has shared with his fellow brothers and sisters, how can we not share too? So many of us in this room have been saved, have been redeemed, have been renovated inside. We've had all sorts of healing happen in our lives because of what God has done. How can we not share that with people? Maybe they'll think we're pushy or annoying or odd, but man, we want them to find the same healing we found. So as Psalm 130's author does, he shares with other people. That's our encouragement too. I'd say if you have some blank space in your sermon notes or maybe on your phone you could write this or on a connection card, who is someone you can share the hope you found with this week or this month? Share with someone how God has redeemed and rescued and loved you. Um, Yeah, invite them to church. Invite them to your life group. Invite them to your home. It's your barbecue, whatever. Um, Reach out and share. I think our enemy often tries to persuade us that... uh, you know, I, that's not appropriate, and I, you know, they're going to be mad at me, and who am I to judge? And man, if we have really genuinely found hope and healing in God, and we have that promise, let's share that with other people. How can we survive sin's devastating effects? We can thrive by patiently trusting God forgives and redeems. I get hurt, and I do things I hate, but God forgives. I just need to wait. So as I studied through this passage and thought about, man, how does that hit me, Lord? And I thought, I need a reminder of my sin. it's, It's so easy for me to float through life and think, I'm a pretty good guy. I mean, I'm a lot better than that guy. I haven't done what she did. You know, and so I fool myself into thinking that I'm good, that I don't need God's forgiveness, that I don't sin anymore. And God, on this side of the cross, because of Jesus Christ, looks at us as saints. But I still do things all the time that I need forgiveness for. I am still just as dependent on God. And so I, I, as I read this passage, I just share that with you to say, like, man, we are all dependent. We all need to be humble. We all need God's forgiveness. Um, and I know I do for sure. Um, so I would say for you, uh, we've got, we'll have four points up here on the screen that kind of just illustrate the four ways that we've moved through this psalm. What stage of this or what element of this psalm, as our psalmist shared his heart, is God calling you to engage with, to maybe admit your sin more and be honest with yourself? Or you need to ask for God's forgiveness and, and let him help you. You need to be patient maybe and God to redeem you in his time and wait Or maybe all of that's happened, you got that clicking, but you need to go share with people. Share the good news of what God's done and let them experience the healing too. So I'd encourage you, what is he calling you to do today? Remember who he is in the midst of the storm, in the midst of the depths, and move forward in faith. I get hurt and I do things I hate, but God forgives. I just need to wait.
If you would join with me in a word of prayer, let's close. God, we thank you so much for how you are patient with us. God, thank you for your patience, and we pray that you would help us to be patient with your timeline. God, we pray that you would give us uh, courage to look into our hearts and see what's there. We pray you give us honesty to admit where we need help. And God, we pray that you would give us patience to wait uh, for you. We also pray that you would give us boldness to share and a compassion for others to share what we've learned. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Well, at this time, we're going to respond in worship. And Psalms really is so cool because it teaches us that the more we know about God, the more reasons we have to worship him. The more reasons we have to respond back in gratitude and say, man, you are worth praising. So I'm going to ask you to stand now. We will have a song playing, and we'd love for you to engage with us in that. If you want to stand and worship with us, if you want to kneel and pray, if you want to crack open God's word and examine something, we, all these are options. However God is moving you to respond, follow what the Spirit is doing in your heart. I would also encourage you, our uh, prayer team and pastors are heading to each wall on each side of here. If you would like to pray with someone, uh, that's an opportunity for you as well. If you'd like someone to pray for you, that's another way that we can respond in this time too. So let's respond to how God is moving in our hearts and see what he is saying uh, to us.